And we're back with another episode of The Anarchist Experience, episode 292, aka Year 6, Week 42, uh, coming at you this week. As always, I am your host, Mr. Rich E. Rich, along with MC and KS. And since this is your live call-in show, uh, those numbers for you to dial 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. That's 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. We record this show on Saturday, and it is now Saturday, November 7th. Um, And the only reason I'm giving that out this particular time is because uh, you you may not have heard, uh, being five hours behind, and I don't know what you guys have done this morning, but the election is finally over. No way. After, you know, days (laughs) upon days. Of nothing, uh, the 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 United States election finally uh, at its end, maybe sort of. No, it's not over till the uh, electoral college people vote. All right. Well, until the fat lady sings. Well, we shall wait longer then. But for the for the vast majority of Americans, uh, you know, the the election is in the rear view at this point. Uh, KS, you called it last week with your prediction. Actually, and I said a landslide. That may not seem. Uh, obvious, but I think when you count the numbers uh, again of population uh, and the final uh, uh, electoral college vote, <clears throat> they'll they'll still claim credit for a landslide. I mean, you know, it's large numbers, not overwhelming and obviously at the first, but it came. It, it'll turn out that way, I think. What is your definition of a landslide then? Because I, I hear what you're saying. Electoral college, probably. Yeah. Right. So, like anything over three hundred. Is a landslide, or does it have to go higher than that? Like, what's you know, what what differential no, are you actually, looking at to call it a landslide? I mean, I'm just I, curious. I, I think of a landslide of like when Nixon won uh, all the states except one. Okay, <laughs> you know, something like that is a is definitely a landslide. This this wasn't a landslide, but they they will claim it. So just uh, the, the numbers. I don't. Uh, I think Biden will probably get over 80 million votes and. So, but of the popular vote, so it'll still be declared a landslide, even I if think, it's. I think the not. popular vote was closer this time. Define close. I my my microphone just clicked off again randomly, so I hope that's not going to be a, an ongoing issue. But I I missed a little bit of what you said, Cass. Uh, but define popular. Define uh, you know a landslide in the popular vote because it's close to like a five million differential right now. That seems significant. I don't know if I'd say landslide. Oh yeah, I mean you're you're right. I don't. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, seventy-five I, million to seventy million at the moment. Right, and amazingly enough, seventy million, like the second most votes in all of history, uh, topped only by Biden this go round. Like any other time in history, that's way more than enough to win, except this year. Yep. Anyway, so I just. Throwing it, I'm just throwing it out there because we waited so long. Like I was up until like 2 a.m. election night. Uh, most of it was hanging out with, you know, the the friends, the group of people uh, with whom I associate watching that thing. We had a here in New Hampshire, uh, uh, the, the first Tuesday of the month, we have a big old potluck party uh, at the at the meeting house um, where people who are new to the Free State Project, new movers are invited to to meet the community. Uh, so that turned into, you know, that potluck dinner turned into like an election watch night party. Uh, and that was pretty fun, you know, just hearing what everyone else was going through and trying to figure out what the news, we eventually ended up on like Alex Jones's channel, uh, you know, listen, listening to, to the best coverage, uh, around, um, and then I think I dipped out at like, you know, one o'clock in the morning, I'm like, you know what? I don't know if they're going to call it. I don't know if they're going to call it, uh, but we'll wait and see. Uh, but I'm going to bed, you know, and so I, I go to bed and then I wake up the next morning and like pretty much nothing changed in like the past five days, uh, hmm. which is which is why I got excited, you know, this morning, you know, morning for you. Uh, but like 11 o'clock or whatever, Eastern time this morning when they went, no, nope, we're calling it. Everyone's calling it. ABC, CNN, you know, uh, Fox, Fox News, News <laughs> calling. I'm like, all right, good. It's over. You know, put this put this in the rear view. Uh, and then I then I took to social media to see what you know everyone was going to be bitching about now, right? Uh, and one of my one of my favorite things watching it that night with uh, the group that I I usually watch it with was 
um, the libertarian candidate, Joe Jorgensen, was covering the spread in a lot of those key states. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. interesting. Early on, yes. And she's, there's still, a, there, I think, maybe in a, in a few of the states where it was really, really close, uh, the libertarian covered. covered. And so yeah. I, I, I knew all of a sudden the libertarians were going to be blamed uh, <laughs> for voting their conscience. So liber- libertarians are good for something, huh? Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the political punching bag, at least, yes. at the bare, bare minimum. The spoiler. <laughs> and in this case, in uh, like a lot of cities, it, it really rang true. It was amazing. Uh, you know, you know, in some places it was like, you know, there, there, there's only 20,000 votes separating the two candidates. And you look down at the Libertarian and Joe Jorgensen's got like 39,000 votes. I'm like, oh, look at that. Look at that. They have a scapegoat. They know exactly <laughs> whom to blame now uh, for this mess. Well, then the Democrats should love the Libertarians, should be what? encouraging them in the debates and all that sort of thing then. Maybe. But, you know, the, and <laughs> and for some policies, it makes sense, right? Because li- Libertarians... <laughs> Uh, agree with Democrats on some issues and Republicans on some issues and then diverge on a whole bunch of other issues. So it's, you know, it's a who knows type of a thing uh, when it comes to, you know, what the what the libertarian candidate is going to do and say and all the all the fallout and all the backlash that comes with that. So, I'm you know, when I get on social media, I was really excited. And then I was, you know, when they called it today, I was thinking like, you know, ooh, what 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 could be funny about this current situation? And then I, you know, the what I what I uh, responded to, I, I don't really post much of my own anymore, but I responded to a couple of people who were, you know, uh, despondent or whatever, or upset, or I don't even know how to phrase it. They just, you know, they're the type of people that can, uh, appreciate my comments. I went Trump 2024, uh, 2024 return of the Magi, Magi. I don't know. I don't know how I'm pronouncing it yet because, you know, Trump was make America great again. Right. So that was the new hope. And then Biden sweeps in, and steals this one, so I'm calling that like the you know return of the Jedi, uh, not the, uh, the Empire Strikes Back, and then Trump, you know, part three of the three act trilogy is he comes back in 2024 uh, to re- to return, uh, and then another one of my comments was like for the next four years, right? Like he won't concede defeat, but he's definitely lost at this point. I mean, you know, court proceedings notwithstanding, electoral votes notwithstanding, I get it, it's not over yet. Uh, but like, well, all he's going to do now is just, you know, continue to campaign for four years. Like the 2024 campaign starts now, right? Still, he's still going to hold rallies all over the country, uh, to show the, the, the huge crowds, the impressive crowds that he can draw. I hope not. Oh, why, why not? You don't think that'd be fun? No. What would, what do you want to see then? I, I would. Because from an entertainment value, I think that's impressive. I would rather somebody find somebody that is, um, well, I mean, it's, it, it's tough because, you know, you don't want them to find somebody that, that's, a, a, you know, good in government. You want, in, in a way, you want the most horrible person you could find so that at least you have more libertarians, you know, waking up. Well, you had that in Trump. He wasn't, right? he wasn't a politician. He was the outsider. He won, what, like 5% of the votes in D.C. just to show how much of an outsider he was and how much D.C. wanted an establishment politician back in the office. But I'm saying he, you know, he, he, he campaigns already. He, you know, holds his rallies across the country uh, because the people going to Trump rallies, I don't think were necessarily like Republicans. They were Trump supporters. Right. And I think that's a I want to I want to say that that is a distinction because of the cult of personality that is Donald Trump. And since he's on Twitter all the time anyway, for the next four years, he's just going to be adding Joe Biden and adding Kamala Harris and adding the official POTUS account, you know, on a daily basis, just just razzing them for four years straight uh, and then then returns on the campaign trail when it, and ramps that up when it becomes necessary. You know, under normal circumstances, I would think that a guy like this, a populist, <clears throat> would um, would start his own <clears throat> third party. <clears throat> so it would be his platform all the time, except that the Republicans just just turned into his lapdogs the whole time that he was there. So they, they, they loved him. They, it wasn't that he was fighting his own party. So he's not going to take that path of, of um, you know, like Teddy Roosevelt when, when he couldn't get along with uh, 
uh, Howard Taft and I uh, and split off and started his own party or Ross Perot or or uh, Wallace uh, you know these third parties the populist third parties only come if there's a rift within the Republican Party and they there's no rift he they love him I was amazed at how the Republicans just quickly turned over and embraced all of his non non formerly non Republican positions, you know, the tariff barrier, tariff barriers and protectionism, um, the uh, increased government spending, massive increases in debt. They all tolerated it because it seemed to go over with the populace. Do you think they're going to uh, turn against him now because it didn't succeed or they're still going to be in his clutches? Well, that's that's part of what I'm saying is I don't think I think there are already detractors starting to distance themselves from Trump. Um but I don't think that the I don't think that the people who showed up to the rallies and who were like ardent Trump supporters were necessarily Republican by nature. Yeah. And would they start another party and then invite him to to no. be their leader? No, not at all. Because for for the for a guy who, you know, who wants to be the center of attention, right? The worst thing that he could do is start a third party or join a third party. And lose so significantly uh, the credibility because that's what third of a parties party. do. Yeah, yeah and yeah, it, would, that's it right. would destroy it. Yeah. So he did. He already did the the best thing that he could do as a you know populist or an individualist or an egocentric megalomaniac, and that's join an establishment party where you actually have a chance to win, and then do do the best you can. And in this case, he won. You know, and now he lost. So, but yeah, there's no you. You won't see. I don't think you'll see him anywhere near the libertarian party or any third party ever in the future. Right. He's Is he going to go quietly or do you think that, that he'll just do something to try and keep the reins of power? Well, it depends what you mean by go quietly. He's already filing lawsuits in like every single state that he lost. Yeah, We'll, we'll, we'll see after the electoral college votes and okay. Yeah. Yeah. Anything well, else is just speculation, and I yes, I I think he will go quietly after electoral college votes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, will okay. he make a big fit about it? Yes, because that's what Donald Trump does. He throws fits. <laughs> right. Come on. <laughs> so four more years of that, but from the sideline. So let's talk. You like you are you concerned, or do you have some sort of premonition that the electoral college is not going to vote uh, along the lines of of the popular vote? Like you know, they, they you know it, per county or per state, I guess like they don't have to vote you know it, down the popular lines. But if if they got if Trump won, if the popular vote won that you know the five electoral votes for your state, are you saying the electoral college may break away from that? I know no, there's I don't like think so. one that broke away last election cycle. I, I don't think so. Okay, so you know what's what's the What's the why wait for the electoral college to, to see? Is that just because that makes it official, or you yes. anticipate some? Yes, of yeah. course. Then okay. it's legal because even now the popular vote and all, and all of this speculation from the newspapers and all it it's just um, uh, not formal. <clears throat> the well, electoral but, yeah. college will make it formal and legal. Sure, and then then he can take it, it to the Supreme Court uh, and on some kind of grounds. It might might say that it was. <clears throat> illegitimate well and he's already making those claims in the states right like he, you know is there okay let me ask this question from your perspective uh do you believe the claims that there were uh election fraud and malfeasance across the board uh, no i don't i i think that there are always cases of malfeasance and fraud but they uh tend to be marginal in their in their impact i mean you know i think for years the the, the uh, milia zimmerman did a report uh an investigation for hawaii reporter some years ago here in the state of hawaii and she investigated a lot of ballot registrations and found a whole handful of registrations to an empty lot uh you know with addresses at an empty lot and another one uh where everybody had registered in apparently the same handwriting at the same moment and same day, all the retired people in the home okay, and that there were illegal um, people. I mean, so she did investigation on such things. They do happen. Um, well, let, let me, let me be clear and ask a clarifying question then, because 
I said, do you think there there is you know uh, fraud and malfeasance across the board? You said no, and then proceeded to answer with evidence that there is. So, are you, well, you said across well, the board. He's saying right. it happens. Is is it enough to sway an election? Probably not, but you know it could happen. Right, and I think it can happen because both these are motivated to do what they can when they can when they have an opportunity to. Uh, so, I mean, it could be a balancing factor here. You know, one party may do it, yes, in marginal cases. And the votes are really close enough that, that probably these things could make a difference. Um, you know, like, for example, on the radio, they talked about 300,000 mail-in ballots <clears throat> had been scanned in by the post office but hadn't been scanned out. And so they're wondering where they went. And the, the explanation from the postal workers union was, well, they were, they, they were delivered, but they just didn't uh, abide by the, uh, their n- normal protocol of scanning out the letters. I mean, who, who knows? I mean, I don't know. I mean, and, and 300,000 is enough probably to, to make a difference on these close, close races. Uh, so there's a lot to be discovered yet, I suppose. Well, and that's part of why he's suing. So I guess, <clears throat> You know, part of me goes, well, from the beginning, right, as soon as they, they decided to do this uh, mail-in ballot thing, right, Trump had, had already set the stage for fraud and malfeasance uh, coming from, from that aspect of it, right? And part of me went, well, you knew it was coming, right? Is Trump really the type of person to play the clean game, right? Like, he's not also going to cheat, you know? Like he's just he's gonna he's gonna go right down right down the middle, play do it by the book, uh, and then point out the fact that you know the 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 Democrats uh, were cheating, and I go like no probably not he, like all all that happened was he didn't cheat as well as they did. <laughs> it might right? turn out that way. Um, it did but, turn out that way, but but, like, but we don't we don't know yet because the investigation hasn't been done. So yeah, there there's one <laughs> speculation that there's. Uh, a whole bunch of fake ballots in Pennsylvania, right? And the way that that, that somebody's saying Trump set the trap, uh, I don't know what Trump had to do with it. But, <laughs> but the the thing is, is the the ballots have a, a watermark on it, and so supposedly the 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 fake ballots don't have the watermark mark on it because they didn't know that there was a watermark and they couldn't reproduce it. So I don't know, but like we'll we'll see what happens if they if they find something, then they find something. Then. Uh, we'll hear well, about the problem it, is but... they're gonna they're gonna find everything well, maybe yeah. not everything but they're gonna they're gonna find enough to to cause a ruckus and they're gonna find you know that i think happened in the last probably four elections uh, a whole bunch of dead people voting and it happens yeah. every time and nobody does shit about it and nobody goes to jail over it so. <laughs> understood yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, chicago and illinois were famous for that sort of thing so like, knowing that Where's the where's the bucket full of Trump's dead people, you know, voting late that he just didn't truck in and where's the mail in ballots, you know, the, the well, truckload of mail in ballots for Trump that he should have pre planned. Is that the the left never talks about the dead people voting and it's always the right talking about the dead people voting. So is it always the dead people vote for, for Democrats? <laughs> you know? I mean, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. They didn't say they obviously I, they're cheating. Right? I, I don't I don't know. <laughs> they that just it, don't cheat good enough. The decisive uh, issue isn't going to be about the cheating. Well, it may be in there, but I think a bigger issue is there's going to be uh, legal uh, dispute over, for example, uh, was the like in Pennsylvania, could they count votes that can't that can't, that were postmarked on the day, or the, did they have to be in by the day of the election? Um, and apparently, that was ruled on by a lower court, but it's being challenged. In fact, the court even invited, uh, you know, I said, keep these votes on a side so that we can make a decision uh, at a higher court later. So that's that's where I think the, the real change is going to, could occur. When it goes on, an appeal goes on to another court and they may rule differently about all those votes that were postmarked on the election day, but not received by the election day. Right. And, and personally, I would say postmarked by the election day is fine. Um, that seems to be well established. That's how, you know, the taxes are counted, right? Like you, when you, when you file, if, and when you file your taxes on April 15th, 
That's why there's lines out the ass at the post office, people trying to make sure that their tax returns are postmarked by April 15th, uh, regardless of when the IRS receives it. Yes, sounds legitimate, but each state has a different rule on on those things. The federal government has a rule on federal tax filings, but each state has a different rule for state tax filings. Understood. And so if if Pennsylvania changed the rule right before the election— well, then the, that, that rule is in effect, right? Yeah. It's, it'd be difficult for the Trump to say, like, they changed the rules so they could cheat. Well, probably. But, they, <laughs> but the, yeah. the, the, the rule was in effect, you know? It's, it's not like, you know, ba- it's not like they, you're going to be able to cast a ballot, mail in a ballot after the election day, right? And like, ah, you know what? We're going to extend our election cycle to the 14th of, of, of November. So just keep on voting. No, it's over. Right. Like, you know, when the ballot was mailed, where it got counted. Uh, I like the postmarked aspect of it simply because it's like for the, for the individual voter, if that's your thing, um, it shows that yes, you, you, you had done your duty by the deadline of that day. Um, to say that it has to be received by a certain day, puts too much onus on the efficacy of the post office for my liking uh, because it, you know they they lose shit all the time right they they mishandle mail mishandle packages all the time uh, uh, just within the last year i ordered something uh off of ebay and i pay very little attention to tracking it just like it shows up when it shows up and then i get the notice that it's here uh, but this you know i'm in new hampshire this time i, for, I forget where it got mail from like might have been Pennsylvania, might have been Chicago or whatever. Uh, I think, it, yeah, I think I got mailed from like the Midwest, and then it got it got to a the town post office in New Hampshire, right? And then it took a detour to like Pennsylvania, and so i I get a I get a, a an email from the seller going like, "Hey, bro, did you move?" I'm like, no, why? <laughs> he goes, "Because uh, your package was like you know twenty miles away from you, and now it's headed to Pennsylvania." And I went, well, let me look into that, you know? So of course I look in and I look at the tracking and sure enough, you know, it was the, my package was like one town over and then all of a sudden three States away, you know, <laughs> I go, well, well, that's the post office for you, you know? Exactly. And you, and you find that the post office is going to be a center focus for a lot of this, but the Democrat, I mean, but Trump can't complain about that because he appointed the guy who's postmaster general, the one in, in charge of it. And of course, the the Democrats have appointed probably a lot of the people who are, or I would guess that the postal service workers are much more inclined towards Biden and would would pull stunts that would help Biden if they if they could, I suppose. Uh, but the Trump guy was in charge of it had had uh, so it's hard for him to accuse the post office of incompetence if his guy was in charge. <laughs> right. And there's all kinds of allegations that the post office had, you know, last summer started cutting way back on on, a, you know, on delivery services uh, so that things would take longer. So I think Trump has nobody but to blame but himself if he tries to point to the post office. Well, and and if he does that, uh, is it even is that still Trump's fault though, or was he pre-planning that because he knew he was trying to sabotage the Democrats? Like that was his form of cheating, was to scale back the post office because he knew that they were more likely to mail in the votes. Uh, and then, you know, when they when they had issues, go like, ah, see, it's all the post office fault, and don't count them, right? Like that that seemed to be his overall strategy was, you know, take the early lead in in the in-person voting and then call for fraud and malfeasance when the Democrat voting started to roll in. Actually, it seems to be a uh, miscalculation. Aren't Republicans more likely to uh, cast their ballots in great numbers if make it really easy to them? I mean, I know that Democrats will too, but the Republicans, if they were highly charged up, I would have thought that mail-in ballots would have given an, an edge to Republican votes. Um. No, because Trump told them to stay home. Uh, well, that's until because of, election yeah, that's day why it that. was a miscalculation on his part. Told them right. to stay home. <clears throat> but also, I th- I think it also had to do with uh, who the audience is. Um, you sure. know, one the, one of the one of the, the leading points that people point out is like no one is going to believe that the guy who could only get six people to his rallies, you know, beat out the guy who had 
tens of thousands of people show up to his rallies. <laughs> and my response was, well, it's that's that's the uh, silent majority, right? So you got the vocal minority and the silent majority. Uh, Trump supporters tended to be, you know, less uh, fearful of the COVID virus, right? Less likely to quarantine, less likely to wear a mask, less likely to stay at home. Um, and people who supported Biden were more likely to be fearful of the virus, more likely to stay at home, more likely to wear the mask. And because they didn't want to go out in large numbers for fear of this virus, uh, at least mm-hmm. this year, were more likely to mail in their votes. And that's probably the main reason why I wanted the left to lose. I think the left is the party of fear, fear of coronavirus, fear of climate change, uh, you know, fear of you know, living your life however you want to live. Um, well, I hope so. you casted your vote for Trump instead of wasting no. it on that Joe Jorgensen shit, because <laughs> this is all your fault if you didn't do that. I still have my ballot, so I never mailed it. <laughs> okay, good. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you. Um, and, and the reason I didn't turn it in, I was just uh, I actually, my, my girlfriend sent hers in, and I helped her fill that out. Um, and it was just an, an annoying process to me, and I just didn't end up doing it myself. I was like, ah, it, it was annoying to me. And so uh, why do I want to be annoyed? So I didn't look at it again. Nice. Yeah. Um, I, I had better things to do that day. I went to work. I went to the gym, had a nice dinner, hung out with friends. Like instead of, you know, that, that the most entertaining part to me. And there was one of our friends who came in and he was like, he was kind of razzing us uh, because we were all around, you know, there's a big old wall projector in the facility that we're all watching the election results. He's like, why are you guys doing this? You know, why, you know, cause it's a bunch of, you know, libertarians and anarchists or whatever. And I'm like, all right, let me, let me just tell it to you like this, man. I understand where you're coming from. And if I had to watch this at home by myself, I probably wouldn't do it. However, around this group of people, I don't really care what's on that screen because I'm just enjoying the camaraderie around this group of people. So I get it. Like voting, annoying, filling out paperwork, annoying. Why would you want to do find something better and more productive to do with your time. Um, because yeah, I mean, why, why torture yourself with that? So not your fault, MC. Good job. Uh, not filling out that ballot. I think M figured out how to vote like for the first time, maybe <laughs> ever. I don't remember. It was like, but her excuse was like, I, I want to make sure that I have a chance to vote for our, all of our friends who are running for office and the local politicians in the, in the Liberty ish community yeah. around. Yeah. I'm like, all right, whatever. That would, Kilia Kenya was a guy that I uh, think it makes an extremely big difference on the o- Office of Hawaiian Affairs, and uh, you know I, I he narrowly defeated uh, a challenger in, in his race. Uh, you know I don't my my vote was only one of maybe five hundred that made the, the difference there, but um, but I, I look at it. Um, Philosophically, I, I vote for the Libertarian. I know they're never going to win the election, but I always think of it as the long-term view. When you, uh, so that I can talk about it, I can tell people there is another party out there that should be on the debate, should be on the presentation, should have uh, the ideas considered. Um, it's a rallying point. I mean, we had a party over at our house uh, uh, breaking the rules for for gatherings of a bunch of people who came together because somebody had put on notice who wants to sign way for Joe Jorgensen. So yeah. it, it pulled libertarians out of the woodwork together in a, a sense of community. And so there's a long sure. run gain for all of this stuff. Totally get it. I told a whole bunch of people, uh, you know, about the libertarian party, but I didn't bother to call the polls and vote. Like, yeah. Yeah. Right. I found I, some, I, you know, it, it, every path is different, but I think that in the long run, there's, there's more to be gained than, than just hiding, you know, and not not uh, uh, make any connection politically. Getting people in Hawaii to recognize the Libertarian Party might be beneficial. Uh, I would say that's only like you know a step one toward absolute freedom and total anarchy. Like if well, if you get if you get caught up in the Libertarian Party politics of things, I don't think you've made it far enough. You're right. Uh, I'm always remembering an interview that Eugene V. Debs did. He was the socialist presidential candidate years ago. And they did an interview with him in the 19, I guess, 1930s or so. And they said, didn't it get discouraging to you? I mean, you always ran as the Socialist Party president and you always lost. I mean, why didn't you just give up? And he says, lost? 
I won. Have you seen the political party platforms of the Democrats and Republicans? They have adopted wholeheartedly all of the socialist plat uh, uh, planks into their platforms. I didn't lose. I didn't win the election, but my ideas got adopted. Yeah, and that's that's a that's a powerful statement. And I think that libertarians, if, like, for example, all across the country, there's an entirely different attitude towards drug legalization. Well, that didn't come from the Democrats and Republicans. Um, it came from libertarians, primarily, just planting the seed of the idea that, hey, you know, legalize this stuff. It does enormous damage. And, uh, and it popularized among young people, and then it spread. Uh, the other parties adopted late after it was already a part of the general population thinking understood and I, I would like more citations of libertarian victories like that because they're they're few and far between and i think drugs is the biggest one right i mean you got you you've got jo joe biden uh the president-elect at this point um uh, mc you call them the party of fear the, the the early news coming out this morning was that you know the top priority for him when they you know when they take over office uh, is to put together a coronavirus task force. Like that's it. We, we're gonna we're gonna nip this sucker in the bud. Uh, top priority. Um, I go, well, that's you know, there, where's where's the where's the libertarian influence there, right? You know, you've got the whole like you know we're we're gonna take your guns away. Uh, where's the libertarian influence there? You've got Ka Kamala Harris right within the last week or so uh, in an interview saying that equality should be of outcomes. Right. Like that's, <laughs> yeah. that's on record. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah you know, can't even deny that or fight that. I, I don't think she's that intelligent of a, a politician. So she might not even know what she's actually talking about. She's maybe never even debated it with anybody. It's kind of like when Joe Jorgensen says that we should act, actively be anti-racist, you know, along with the BLM crowd. It's like, does she actually know what she's talking about? No, and that's yeah, and so that's, that's why she lost a lot of libertarians along the way. <laughs> yeah, and so you know, does she actually, you know, is she actually a communist? You know, probably, but does she actually know what it means? Uh, maybe not. <laughs> no. However, if she, if she's now like the second most powerful person in the world, right? Maybe maybe soon to be the most powerful person in the world, depending on which conspiracy theory you want to listen to. Yeah, I don't. I don't think Biden's going to last four years. Okay. And and I think that's going to ruin the rematch. I want the rematch so bad just for the entertainment <laughs> value. If in no, 4 he's not, years. He's, he's not running again. Even if he yeah. I, maybe maybe they'll make like a digital representation of him reading teleprompters and we'll never know if it's actually him or not. <laughs> it'll it'll be a stuttering Biden bot maybe. He, yeah, he he can barely read a teleprompter as it is. So. <laughs> I think there's too often a tendency to think that the way the election went is then the projection way off into the future. All too often in, in politics, it's just a pendulum. You know, it goes in one direction and then there's always a backlash. That That is a kind of remarkable thing about democracies in that politicians do have to be kind of careful about uh, how extreme they get because there's the potential for a backlash. Under a dictatorship, you don't have the potential for uh, an effective backlash well as easily. Um, but um, I think uh, if they're savvy politicians, they know that what they say can, can bring on a backlash. And I think that that was a problem. Trump never really cared about the backlash. That's why he could be any, and his supporters often loved the fact that he was brash and crude and rude um, without really realizing that you're you're building hostility, and it really is remarkable that an incumbent loses because he's got all the advantages, and uh, so um, he I I think he could have done a a, a better job of mollifying that great independent middle class, middle voter who who could have gone either way on this just by um, seeing a little less crude and rude yeah well he he chose his base over uh, a broad broad appeal and yeah yeah that, i think it obviously hurt him well and um, he still got broad appeal let's but, look, i'm gonna reiterate the fact uh, that he got the second most votes ever in a presidential race like that's it, it's pretty impressive until you realize sure. that second most in history is only and still lost because biden got the first most so he did rally more than his base like i don't think his base is 70 million strong and as 
let me just add a final comment on that. I agree with you because you are right. <laughs> okay. What what, what I what I'm saying is is that um the the media constantly attacked him for four years. Yeah. And he uh he he fought back instead of I mean he he was unable to uh um break break that left right divide. It's it was polarized the the whole time he was in office and there was you know maybe it's not his fault that there was nothing he could do about it but he certainly did not try <laughs> right and so that was another thing coming out recently is you know sometime in the next few hours uh Joe Biden is gonna give a speech about unifying uh, america and being president for all americans um and i i honestly i don't know how well it's gonna go over like, do you, do you think that Joe Biden can be the unifying force to bridge that divide? I think I think Joe Biden is going to hide, and we're we're not going to see a whole lot of him. Um, He's going to be in the basement of the White House. It's it's going to be any, anything you see from him is going to be scripted. You know, you're not going to see Biden. Well, he doesn't tweet anyway. Um, it's it's going to be very very hidden, and I think that's the way the establishment wants it. You know, total control of whatever image and uh announcements and and all that stuff so it's it's going to be uh behind closed doors from you know from the second you know he swears in but that doesn't sound see and again that doesn't sound very fun at all or entertaining no, it's, like, it's, it's not gonna, gonna be, be fun or it's entertaining gonna be boring four years it is it is and and maybe uh may, maybe it'll be good for the country to you know focus on other things for a little while and I, I certainly, you know, it's it's going to be a good change of pace where uh, it's not going to be 100 percent focused on Trump by the mainstream media uh, because it just it got annoying. You know, after the first two years of Russiagate, it's like it's fake news. Trump was right. You know, <laughs> OK, well, and it, and it just it just never ended. It just kept going. And, and it's, it's so annoying. And and. So so many people believe it because well it's mainstream news it must some some aspect of it must be real but it wasn't so we're not we're not going to have the same uh, drama as you know as Trump being the figurehead with Biden um, so this time this go around for the next four years we get to focus on policy is that you know what no what are I, they actually I have, doing I have no what okay what what is the mainstream media going to do if it can't focus on Trump anymore, if he, if he just dropped out and didn't make any more noise, which, you know, he's going to make more noise, but what, well, you got, you got a couple do? more months of more noise. Yeah. Okay. But what, what are they going to do after Biden's in? Well, they're going to have to start reporting on what's actually going on or, I don't know. or make shit up. Maybe it's going to be 24 seven. Oh, climate change. And, and the, the, the Republican, uh, uh, people in Congress are stopping uh, Biden from making changes in the laws. Yeah, that's what it's going to be. Because so it's going to be twenty four seven climate change, uh, to, or war again. We might go back to you yeah, know war might make I, the news. That's what I f figure. I I bet that we're going to have another major war, and there's not going to be any resistance to it. And because so the the media has to have something to talk about, right? I, I, I put this thought out there um, in a separate group and then someone someone posted the serious question like what what really caused Trump to lose like you know let's bypass all the BS what caused Trump to lose and in, in, you know serious responses and my response was he did not position himself as a wartime president right like no I I honestly think it's the covid thing and the, amongst the 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 group that uh, changed votes from uh republican or, or just came out and voted uh was the the white older suburban middle class type people uh, okay voted for biden because they're afraid of covid and they don't think donald trump did a good job on that well all right so let's let's predict something then do you think biden is going to be able to do anything different better no but it's not about that it's just a, it was just Something bad happened under Trump. Understood. And, and he wasn't the authoritarian that said, 
everybody locked down. If, if he would have just taken Joe Biden's stance from him uh, early on and said, oh, what does Joe Biden think we should do? Oh, we should lock down. And I'll do that, too. And then and then, uh, you know, and then Joe Biden wouldn't ha- wouldn't have had anything yeah. you know, better because like, well, you got the biggest authoritarian already. Maybe so. I, uh, a part of me doesn't. I'm not I'm not in favor of Trump. Uh, but part of me already thinks he went too far with the lockdowns um, that he did do, right? Or you know, the, well, the closing up the country, or whatever. Because why? Pretty, I mean, pretty much all he did was block ch- people from China, I think. And then the governors in the, each state did did uh, all the rest of the damage, right? But even that, to me, was too much. Um, again, because freedom. Right, the freedom being the key issue. More liberty, more freedom, more choices for individuals. Yeah, but but he he had a, a problem against China anyway, and so blocking China right. was just just fun for him. Understood. But, <laughs> you say so. It's like th- that that should be expected. Not not like not in right. the too much category. The too but much he- ca- category is is when when Europe. Uh, started blocking people from the U.S. You know, and well, and, and you got COVID, you know, spreading like wildfire through Europe right now, and it has nothing to do with, uh, you know, people from the U.S. coming there or not. <laughs> if that's your concern, welcome to more of that, because again, Biden's putting together the task force, and it's not like they're not going to recommend lockdowns and, oh, and yeah. more oppression and yeah, more man- keeping mandatory masks for the whole country. Blah uh, blah blah. Yeah can't go anywhere <laughs> so i mean so it it's coming perhaps right yeah, will it meet yeah. resistance perhaps yeah, yeah. Uh, but on that particular issue right aside from you know the locking down of china which i disagree with um i kind of i i kind of want to be on trump's side right it's not that bad for the vast majority of people um you, if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask, right? You know, he was very open saying like, we're, we're not going to be able to stop the virus. We're going to have to learn to live with it. Like we do with all other coronaviruses. Um, and those that survive, survive. And those that don't, uh, you know, seek medical help before you die as best you can. Um, just like people die from the flu and any number of other, you know, diseases. We just kind of go about life, uh, as it were with this new one, that's possible. Uh, with a 99.99 whatever survival yeah. rate. So, you know? so this is the thing. Trump was uh, more o- optimistic and more about uh, you know, personal responsibility and stuff like that. And, and it cost and, him. And not not fear. He was the, the candidate that was uh, not fearful. And Joe Biden was the fearful one. And a lot of people that resonated with. So that's, that's what I think uh, happened. So America turns into the land of the fear, the fearful? It's well, the the left has been trending that way for a long time, so um, I don't know what to say about that. Be, besides, like now they're in charge. Stop. Yeah, now they're in charge, and that's that's why I don't want them to be in charge now. Uh, at, you know, because in the past, like uh, you know, when it was Bush, uh, you know, getting out of office, and then you know we had the chance to elect a a, a peace candidate, Obama. Um. That that was uh, the good thing, you know. Okay, it, it was the Republicans used to be the party of fear, a fear of all those people over there, and so a vote for less less fear is generally what I would trend to. Um, but the, the, now that now the left is the party of fear, so uh, yeah, it sways back and forth, and usually fear wins. Right. So. The, the good thing coming out of this then is uh, the the left, the Democrats don't don't look like they're going to have the Senate or House majority enough to like do anything. Right. So we get four years of gridlock, which is. So. Yeah. I mean, we, for, from a, from an outside perspective, it's like the, the best case scenario, given the circumstances. But, but maybe because um, I think. The establishment is finally going to be happy that they can do things in the dark. And so even if the Republicans start voting for stuff that the Democrats like, uh, let's say they start agreeing on things, the media won't report it. So it'll just be, you know, shit happening. Everything's normal. Uh, We'll make Patriot Act, you know, 4.0. That's twice as bad as 3.0. 
and bipartisan support. Yep. And but they won't even report it. There's, th- things will just be changing in the background. Uh, everything is good now. There's there's you know coronavirus will disappear. Uh, you know pollution will disappear. We'll we'll join the the Paris uh, Accord or whatever it is, and and you know so every everything will be uh, you know green and happy. You know just what? just like when Obama got in office, uh, all war just ended for for half the country. Was it was I talking to you about it last week regarding the Paris Accords where you're not uh, you think it's more smoke and mirrors right like ah we signed the Paris Accord but no one follows it was that yeah 100% smoke and mirrors yeah okay so then who cares right he he No does, I don't care about that yeah. but what I'm saying is is that they they convince people uh, enough people to believe that uh, everything is good now and it's just because they're not reporting it on it anymore well but people will feel the effects Right. That's, you know, if, if you if you try to turn everything green, right, you pass the Green New Deal. Uh, and if you if, if it's more than just. Well, if they sp- pass the Green New Deal, then then we're all screwed because <laughs> uh, energy prices double, triple, quadruple, whatever. Right. So you feel that effect. But if they pass it and then don't act on it. Right. Then who cares? Right. right. Then it's just, you know, then it's, then it's just political posturing i guess saying like well what what we want to do is you know what's right for the country and you know stopping climate change and getting rid of the coronavirus is is good for everyone um no matter the cost because the cost is just financial right the the cost only impacts wall street and wealthy people mm-hmm. uh but the benefits, the ben, the the better climate, uh, the lack of you know the fact that you can go out and breathe clean, fresh air in the park without worried about catching the virus, that benefits everybody. <laughs> sure. um, and so they'll position it like that. Yeah. All right. I think we've hammered that home. You got time for headlines? Sure. All right. I'll run through them since I, we didn't get a chance to to talk about this. Uh, headline: An anarchist take on antitrust laws, dangers and possibilities. Uh, headline, the benefits of secession are becoming increasingly obvious. Yay. All right. Maybe maybe we'll roll back to that one. Headline, Massachusetts is back with more right to repair nonsense. Uh, headline, libertarianism and boycotts. Uh, headline, why threat of election violence may be here to stay. That might be a good one too. Uh, headline, 45,000 Americans flood New Zealand's immigration website during election day. And finally, uh, more local to me, uh, headline, Maine businesses brace for a new $18 minimum wage. Uh, you went yay secession. You want to talk about that? And you want me to do that one? Sure. I'd, I'd love some secession. All right. Let's do it. The benefits of secession are becoming increasingly obvious. Uh, if it seems like the topic of secession is increasingly in the media in recent years, it's not just your imagination. From Cal Exit to Brexit to Catalonia and to Scottish independence, the topic of breaking up nation states into smaller pieces has increasingly forced itself into the foreground. Uh, I'm going to interject real quick because one thing that did come up during the election, uh, Puerto Rico passed like a referendum to become state. And do you see that? No. Nope. Okay. They, 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 they haven't been approved, but they, they all agreed to it. Uh, so they don't want to secede at all. They want to join. Uh, Moving on back to the article. In the United States, the discussion has become muted in the past two years, but has not disappeared as activists on both left and right have decided to wait and see how the next election turns out. But expect a resurgence of secession talk from the side that loses the presidency once the race is over. But thanks to, and this article is from uh, Halloween, so it's about a week old and the race is over. Uh, But thanks to relentless growth in federal power over American states and American communities, this issue is unlikely to go away. It appears that Americans are increasingly fearful that national majorities and national political institutions can be used to attack the culture, legal rights, and lifestyles of those who might find themselves a part of a national minority. Uh, Unless these powers are scaled back, it's increasingly likely that secession or some other form of national disunion will become the last option for many who fear the destruction of self-rule and self-determination within the United States. A secessionist moment. 
These trends have certainly not gone unnoticed by longtime observers of American politics and law. In his new book, American Succession, Secession, The Looming Threat of a National Breakup, legal scholar F.H. Buckley suggests we are now living in a secessionist moment in world history, which is paving the way for dissenters both in the United States and elsewhere to move their nation towards a secessionist future. Buckley outlined three larger historical factors behind current realities. The first is the decolonization trend that began in the middle uh, mid-20th century. Buckley notes, like the American Revolution, the grant of independence to colonies was a form of secession from the colonial power. The second factor is at the end of the Cold War. It's been 30 years since the Berlin Wall came down and nearly 30 years since the Soviet Union collapsed. But political trends have a way of taking decades to become apparent. As the entire system of Western and Soviet alignment disintegrate following the end of the Cold War, 24 new countries emerged. The lack of a Soviet threat and thus greater flexibility offered to small nations in a post-Soviet world encouraged secessionists to push their cause. The third factor is the increase in international trade and the relative decline of trade barriers in recent decades. In a world where even small nations can access international markets with relative ease, uh, the relative cost of leaving a large nation-state declines. The United States, an overgrown nation. But how does this relate to the United States specifically? According to Buckley, much of America's secessionist sentiment arises from the fact that the United States is such a large country. Many Americans, however, are still unaware of the sheer enormity of the U.S. in both terms of physical size and population. Only two other countries on Earth, India and China, have larger populations than the United States, which is now home to more than 330 million people. The U.S. is the fourth largest in physical size. Other global powers, such as Germany, 83 million, and the U.K., 66 million, are far smaller. States like Texas, Florida, California would all be larger than most European countries if they were independent nations. Moreover, among the world's largest nations, including Indonesia, Pakistan, Brazil, and Nigeria, the U.S. is the only wealthy, fully industrialized nation. Clearly, being big is not in itself a recipe for wealth or success. Well aware of the bigness of the United States, Buckley delves into whether or not size is a positive or negative factor in the U.S. stability and quality of life. His well-researched findings suggest that bigness comes with many downsides in terms of corruption, reported happiness levels, wealth, and the tendency for the regime to become overly aggressive in foreign policy. As Buckley points out, there is much evidence to suggest that the successor states of a smaller group of American independent nations would be wealthier, more peaceful, and more free. Or as Buckley concludes, if there are advantages to bigness, the cost exceeds the benefit. Bigness is badness. But perhaps most important of all these secession question is the fact that the country as large as the United States contains numerous regional and cultural groups that are different enough and remote enough from each other as to produce a sense of separateness rather than unity. Contrary to the uh, protestations of old school pundits who continue to insist Americans are united by some sort of ethereal common creed or culture, the reality is far different. Buckley writes, quote, uh, countries threaten to split apart when their people seem hopelessly divided. We're less united today than we've been at any time since the Civil War, divided by politics, religion and culture. In all the ways that matter, save for the naked force of law, we are already divided into two nations, just as much as in 1861. The contempt for opponents, the Twitter mobs, online shaming, and no platforming, the growing tolerance of violence, it all suggests we'd be happier in separate countries. Americans don't even seem to be interested in compromise anymore, Buckley contends, noting in one example that the left's position on the current administration is far beyond mere caricature. Not merely is Trump a white nationalist, but so are all his supporters, and we're not about to forgive and forget them. When that's how people feel, they're past talking to each other. Uh, whether it's secession or secession light, we need a lot more decentralization. So what's the solution to all this vitriol? Uh, Buckley explains that among the more most reasonable solutions is secession. Failing that, the nation must seriously begin to contemplate at least some sort of major move towards decentralization. That is, if secession still seems implausible to many, the very least must occur is for the separate states and regions of the U.S. to obtain true home rule through strategies like interpositions in which local authorities refuse to enforce federal laws and edicts. We've already seen this strategy in action with recent state efforts to refuse enforcement of some federal drug laws. 
Another strategy is the constitutional convention by which the U.S. Constitution could be shifted more in favor of state and local autonomy within the National Union. But no matter what strategy of de-unifying the country is employed, Buckley contends it will be necessary to significantly limit the ability of a single national government to exercise its currently vast powers over internal affairs of the U.S. member states. For Buckley, it's not—it's no longer makes it. Excuse me. For Buckley, it no longer makes sense to govern all Americans under one set of regulations, laws, and legal precedents. It doesn't make sense for a tiny number of federal judges and federal politicians to make decisions for 330 million Americans. Government at this level, the bigness simply can't reflect the needs and preferences of its population. On this, Buckley points out that even the Supreme Court has agreed that a decentralized government will be more sensitive to the needs of a heterogeneous society. Uh, Political realities may outpace legal realities. Ultimately, it appears that Buckley comes down slightly in favor of more limited options underlying his secession light plan. Naturally, as a staunch decentralist, I find this rather disappointing. But there is no denying that Buckley's proposed secession light would certainly be a step in the right direction. My biggest criticism, however, comes not from Buckley's lack of secessionist fervor, but from the fact that at times appears to conflate the legal challenges of secession with the political ones. In all likelihood, the legal problems associated with secession and disunion will become less relevant over time as the politics of the situation become more urgent and more strained. In other words, once nations reach the point of widely contemplating a breakup, what is legally possible tends to become far less important than what is politically possible or necessary. For example, when the various republics of the old Soviet Union began breaking away from Moscow, there was little concern over whether or not these moves were legal. Seeing that independence was at hand, Lithuania wasn't about to slam on the brakes in order to make sure its bid for independence checked out with the Soviet lawyers. What did matter was the fact that the Lithuanian regime found ways to break away from Moscow without having to bow to the nominally binding statutes then in place. Thus, when Buckley suggests the Supreme Court rulings like Texas v. White, which found that secession is unconstitutional, will continue to be key in guiding future debates over national divorce. I'm skeptical. Things are likely to be a whole lot more intellectually and legally messy than consulting legal precedents and holding orderly constitutional conventions. After all, if we can't all agree to sit down together and calmly discuss what must be done to legally bring about a new post-constitutional national order, then why bother with breaking up the nation at all? But this is a fairly minor problem in Buckley's text. Overall, American secession offers an excellent introduction on the legal, political, and historical foundations of the American secessionist movements, both past and present. As framed by someone who is coming from the problem from a very mainstream position within the American conservative movement and within academia, what more, Buckley is attempting to take a pragmatic look at secession far outside romantic notions from the past in line with the realities of the 21st century. His conclusion is the barriers to secession are weak. The case for breakup is strong. The more others agree with this notion, the more national disintegration will become inevitable. Uh, End of the article. So you went, yeah, when I brought up the headline, your thoughts uh, on the American secessionist movement and or what can be done. Yeah, I mean, the the simple way to make things better is decentralization, whether or not we have this uh, huge federal government or not. Um, For example, um, states started taking it uh, to themselves to decide whether or not uh, uh, marijuana is legal in their state, and and Oregon went full whole hog this time. Everything yeah. is legal. Yeah, everything's legal there. That's great. Um, and every state should be able to, you know, set their own rules and stuff. Why do we need the federal government to tell us uh, what our healthcare system should be like? It's totally retarded. Um, <laughs> sorry, Understood. Biden. You're one single pair of health healthcare system is is a bad idea you know it's coming we should have at least 50 systems and probably unlimited systems uh if the you know statism ended single pair Um, healthcare is going to save you from coronavirus right um so yeah i'm not looking forward to uh more regulation uh that that biden wants to do but um yeah i think states should do the same thing with the healthcare system. Just say uh, we're not playing that game. We're not. We're not 
uh, doing that. And of course, the federal government will find ways to punish each state because, uh, well, the federal government has too much power. And, you know, that's where all, that's where the, the money comes from, uh, supposedly. Right. You know, they, they take money from the states and they might not give it all back. Um, right. And, and that's that's a big factor. Um, in a lot of uh, federal control over the states mm-hmm. is if the if the states don't comply with the federal edicts, uh, the feds threaten to 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 uh, remove money from the states. Right. Like we're not going to give back uh, the money. Right. The, the, the federal funding for whatever infrastructure, personal program plan that you have uh, in your state. So that it's always a looming threat to comply with the feds. Otherwise, you lose funding. Mm-hmm. And if you can resist that threat and figure out a way to do it internally, uh, then that's one less thing that the feds have over your particular state. Yeah, there were, there was a city in, in China that did that, actually. And uh, and the Chinese government said, well, we're, we're not going to give you uh, this this funding money and all this stuff. And they said, uh, oh, we don't care. Yep. <laughs> so that, that was pretty interesting. Um, and it, it, it might be actually better to do that. You know, it, I, I would I would really be happy to see a, a state just say, no, we don't need your money and and we'll, we'll make it as hard as possible to to take our money. Right. Um, it's it would be it's it, it's an easier situation for states that are like uh, net tax payers than it is for states that would be next net tax receivers. Yeah. Like Hawaii right. is not going to happen. Right. But it should because you're all the way out there in the middle of nowhere. And yeah. it was its own country at one point in time. Yeah, I mean, like, if we if we got rid of the Jones Act, Hawaii would be a major uh, shipping hub for the world, and we wouldn't need any federal money. Ah, but if you seceded, the Jones Act would no longer apply. Exactly. So, so two birds with one stone, or or in the Jones Act, whichever way, I don't really care. Yeah. All right. Final thoughts. Nope, thanks. All right, that'll do it. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. You guys know where to find us, anarchistexperience.com, on Telegram, t.me slash anarchistexperience, or t.me slash theanarchistexperience. And if you'd like to contribute to the show financially, you can do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash theanarchistexperience. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll talk to you all next week. Peace.